You turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 20, verse 1. Uh, we are really um, coming down to the home stretch of the book of Luke. Um, obviously, there's still a lot here, but I, I've really enjoyed this study. And uh, Lord willing, as we finish up the book of Luke, um, we'll begin the book of Acts, because both of these books were written by... Um, Luke the physician, and I've always wanted to do a study of them back to back, so keep that in mind as we continue on. But in Luke chapter 20, uh, we see, uh, as so many other times, the religious leaders challenging Jesus. And if you think about it, these religious leaders spent their whole lives, many of them, studying the Old Testament. And what does it say in Acts chapter 24 when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus? It says that he drew near and went with the disciples who were on Emmaus. And after they were talking about um, being distressed because Jesus of Nazareth had died. And do you not know all these things that have happened? Which I always found that as an ironic question because Jesus knew more than they did about what had happened, because he had just made the great transaction between heaven and hell. He had just plucked us, as the hymn writer says, plucked as a brand from hell. That is what he had accomplished in those days, and yet these people did not know it was him. They were distressed. They said, do you not know all these things that have occurred? And what does it say about Jesus? It says he... he drew near and went with them, and he taught them in the prophets every prophecy concerning himself. So if anyone should have known that Jesus was who he said he was, it should have been these religious leaders who spent hours upon hours studying the scriptures, supposedly. So let's read um, Luke 20 verses 1 through 8 to begin. And it came to pass that on one of those days, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders and spoke unto him, saying, Tell us, by what authority doest thou these things? Or who is he that gave you this authority? And he answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing, and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then have you believed him not? But if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they be persuaded that John was a prophet. And they answered that they could not tell whence it was. And Jesus said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Now the interesting thing about Jesus is he already knew what they were saying. He knew what this huddle, this private conversation was consisting of. And nothing took him by surprise. They were constantly trying to trap him in his words, but being the almighty God, it was impossible to do so, and I'm very thankful for that and the example that he shows. 
And it's interesting here that Jesus challenges them, them with his own question. And he says, if you answer this question, then I will answer the question that I have, uh, that you have asked me. And the, the ironic thing to me is by this point, they've already asked this question several times. You especially see this in the book of John. The book of John basically consists of people asking Jesus who he is. Then he tells them who he is. Then they get mad at him for saying who he is. Then a little while later, they ask the same question, who are you? He says who he is. They get mad about who he says he is. And then a little while later, they ask the question again, repeated over and over again, until finally they nail him to a Roman cross. Because... He was who he said he was, and they, didn't, they couldn't stand it. I think of a lot of people today with a more liberal bent toward Christianity. They say that we shouldn't talk about sin, that we shouldn't talk about evil, because God is love, and that's all that should matter. But the, the reality is, that if God is love, and that's all that matters, then my Lord and Savior would not have hung on a Roman cross. My Lord and Savior, the perfect Son of God, did not hang on a Roman cross because everybody is okay. He hung on that cross because everybody is not okay. The Bible says very clearly that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And as we look at this passage, this first part, as we're dealing with this exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders, we see how politically correct they were. Maybe we might be persuaded or, or, or think that being politically correct is a 21st century problem. But it is definitely not. It is a timeless problem, and we see it here in this passage. Because look at what these religious leaders say about John. It says, They reasoned within themselves, verse 5, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? So if they acknowledge that John's ministry came from heaven, then Jesus would say, Well, why didn't you believe him? He said, I'm come from heaven... To clear the, or I've come as a messenger to clear the way for the Lord, to make the path straight for the Lord. That was why John said he had come. So if they believed that, why, why didn't they not believe him? And then they said, if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for the people know that John is a prophet, or they're persuaded that John is a prophet. And then they come up with the most politically correct answer they can, and they say, we can't answer your question. And Jesus says, if you can't answer my question, I'm not going to answer your question. I think a lot of times we as uh, 21st century People have the same problem. In that we, we give intellectual assent that Jesus of Nazareth lived. We might even assent to the fact that he was a good man. 
I've heard this so many times. Jesus was a good man and a good teacher. But we stop short of saying that he was the Son of God. We may even go so far as to say that he never said he was. He never claimed to be that. But I can point you out at least two very specific passages where he did that. One is in John chapter 8, when when Jesus is laying out the fact that Abraham said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And they said, how do you know about Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And then, as time passed, and it got close to the time when Jesus would depart this world, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the religious leaders came to arrest him, and he asked them, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. Let these go their way. And when he said, I am, they fell backwards. And uh, so Jesus clearly outlined to the religious leaders and to everyone else that he was who he said he was. And for everyone who believed who he was, Jesus came to them and made himself known. Think of the man born blind who was healed. And then he was brought into the synagogue and he said, I don't know who this man was. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. And he was cast out of the synagogue and Jesus came and found him and said, and he, and he said, do you believe in the Son of God? And he says, tell me who he is that I might believe on him. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. And it says that he fell down and worshipped him. See, Jesus um, will come to earnest seekers. He says all who seek will find. A lot of times people who characterize themselves as seekers, they're looking everywhere else but at the God of the Bible. And then they, then, then they have this unending quest for truth that never gets quenched. Why? Because they're not really seekers. They're really just scoffers masquerading as seekers because the Bible says, if you seek, you will find. It's a definitive phrase. Not you might find, not perhaps you'll find, you will. And so, as we... Um, Uh, go on. I would like, uh, and if someone could read by way of cross reference, Colossians four six. Colossians four six. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. And Jesus was the prime example of this. Um. There's another verse that says, 
be ready always to give an answer of the hope that lives within you. There will always be skeptics, there will always be people that try to trip us up. But if we are uh, spending time in the Word of God, if we are trusting Him, if we are asking for His help, He will be with us. Think of Peter in Acts chapter 4. It says that he stood up and being filled with the Spirit, said, Men and brethren, let it be known unto you that if you are wondering by what power this lame man has been made to walk, know that it was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And this was the same Peter, at least physically speaking, the same Peter that had run in fear and said, I don't know the man. But yet with the power of the Holy Spirit, God gave him those words. And we see in Jesus the perfect example of that. He always knew the response. And sometimes he responded to their thoughts. He didn't even bother to wait until their words came out of their mouth. I think of, I think of that passage where the lame man comes through the roof and the disciples were, or the Pharisees were thinking of themselves, why would he do this? Or what man on earth has authority to forgive sins? And Jesus basically says, why are you thinking these things in your heart? So that you will know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. I say to the lame man, take up your bed and walk. But you see, these religious leaders cared so much more about externals. I think of the one lame man from the pool of Bethesda who was healed. And Jesus said, take up your bed and go home. And the, fair, the religious leaders got upset, livid, that this man was carrying his bed on the Sabbath. Not even caring that this man had been lame and was no longer so. Focusing on externals instead of focusing on the heart. Frederick Bucher said this, the trouble oft times with the religious people is that they try to be more spiritual than God himself. And that really is true because think of all the times that the Pharisees, the religious leaders said to God himself, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, don't heal on the Sabbath. So then... Jesus goes into a parable to kind of talk to these people about the way that they are acting towards God and towards his messengers. He says, in verse 9, Then he began to speak to them, the people, this parable, A certain man had a vineyard, and he led it forth to huntsmen and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season... He sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent another servant, and they beat him also, and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the Lord of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son it may be that they will reverence him when they see him. 
But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy those husbandmen, and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. And he beheld them and said, What is this that was written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and the scribes that same hour sought to lay hands on them, and they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. And they watched him and sent forth spies, who should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, so they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the government. So we, we see in this parable about a, a man who had a vineyard, and he leaves someone in charge of it. And then he sends a spokesperson to reap the profits from the vineyard that he had hired these people to take care of. And Jesus is drawing a parallel between the fact that God sent prophets to share God's truth all throughout the ages. And all throughout the ages, these prophets, these men of God, have been misused and abused and even killed because people didn't want them. Because people didn't want to believe what they were saying. Jeremiah spent time in stocks. And many others had it worse as we will read in a few minutes. But then, after all these failed attempts to get the people's attention and to reclaim his vineyard, he sends this. It says in verse 13, Then the Lord of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be that they will reverence him when they see him. What did Jesus say? What did God say about Jesus when he was baptized? He said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, he said to the disciples, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. God sent His Son into the world to die for us so that we would never have to perish. He sent His Son into the world, as John 3.17 says, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That is the opportunity that we have. And Jesus talks about the punishment that will come to the, the people that were caring for the vineyard but were not doing the right things. 
And the interesting thing is, the religious leaders, they knew that he was talking about them. This is in verse 19. And the chief priests and the scribes, the same hour, sought to lay hands on him. And they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. They understood the truth on an intellectual level, but they failed to internalize it. I think of Judas. Judas was sorry on a human level for what he had done to Jesus. He said, I betrayed the innocent blood. But instead of choosing repentance, Judas chose suicide. Contrastly, we see that Peter went out and wept bitterly. And we see clearly later that those were tears of repentance because Jesus said, after he rose from the dead, go tell my disciples and Peter that I am going before you into Galilee. Why did he say and Peter? Because he wanted Peter to know that he was forgiven. And then later on that shore for that fish breakfast, Jesus gave him an opportunity to affirm his love for him three times, just as he had denied him. A lot of times we, we, we think that, that these religious leaders didn't know what they were doing, but it clearly says here that they knew. But they chose to go their own way. Perhaps there's someone here today that knows the truth, that knows the truth of the gospel, that knows Jesus is God, but has not bowed the knee to him. Might I encourage you, it's not enough to know. It's not enough to know the words. You must know the word. The word became flesh, dwelling among us, Jesus Christ. He's the difference maker. We can look quickly at Hebrews eleven thirty three to thirty nine. Hebrews eleven thirty three to thirty nine. I realize this is a longer passage, but I found it very hard to cut any of this out. So we'll just read it and make a quick comment on it. But this is talking about <laughs> some of the people that had gone through great hardship because of their testimony for God. Most the people mentioned are in the Old Testament, but they were looking forward to the Messiah and they were um, speaking on God's behalf. So let's read this together. Hebrews 11, 33-39. If someone has that, could you read it for us? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies of peace. And what shall I more say? The time would fail me to tell Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. David also and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, brought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, 
Quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, wax valiant in fight, turn to flight the armies of the elements. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scorching, jay, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. So, basically, we, we see all the things that these Old Testament saints went through on behalf of God not seeing the fulfillment of that promise, but looking forward to God. Remember we talked about Abraham earlier, and it said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And so we as New Testament saints have the privilege of knowing the end of the series, the end of the the book, the end of the story. You have the privilege of knowing that. There is a classic gospel song that said I read the back of the book and we win and and that is something that I feel extremely privileged to have we have the whole counsel of God in the Bible nothing need to be added we have the whole salvation of God Jesus dying on the cross and rising again the third day according to the scriptures nothing needs to be added to that either because it's done. In Our Daily Bread, I found this. It says, In ancient Rome, crowds by the tens of thousands would gather in the Colosseum to watch as Christians were torn apart by wild animals. Paul Rader, commenting on his visit to the famous landmark, said, I stood uncovered to the heavens above where he sits, for whom they gladly died, and asked myself, would I... Could I die for him tonight to get this gospel to the ends of the earth? Raider continued, I prayed most fervently in that Roman arena for the spirit of a martyr and for the working of the Holy Spirit in my heart as he worked in Paul's heart when he brought him on his handcuffed way to Rome. Those early Christians lived on the threshold of heaven within a heartbeat of home, no possessions to hold them back. May we all have that attitude. I have thought about that for the last several years, that it's getting worse and worse for Christians in our world. And the day may come when we may have to make the ultimate sacrifice for our faith. And the question will be, would you be willing to do that? I trust and pray that for all of us, that answer would be yes. And I actually, I was going to go a little further today, but I think that's a good place for us to stop. And so we will pick up next time in uh, Luke 20, 21, where they ask Jesus another challenging question. He keeps busting them, whatever they ask him, but they keep trying it again and again. 
to me, it's kind of the definition, definition of insanity, which means if you do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, it's insanity. So we'll get into that next time. But I hope that you have a lot to think about as we've talked about the proper answer when it comes to Jesus Christ. Alistair Begg, um, I, I listened to him do a sermon on this, and he said that it's important for all of us to think about this because the authority of the Word of God is challenged today like never before, even from people that are supposedly inside of Christian circles. And if you don't believe that the Word of God is 100% inherently true, then what do you believe is true? How do you decide what is true and what is not? And if you uh, put things in the Bible that aren't there, then you are going to get things out of the Bible that aren't there. But if you trust the Bible as the whole counsel of God, and that's the way you study it, and that's the way you believe it, and that's the way you preach it, you will be a true follower of God who rightly divides the word of truth. And I challenge you to do that. Be like the Bereans who studied the Bible, studied the Old Testament, saw that the things that Paul said were true. Be like them. Because what I have to say isn't very important, but what God has to say is of the utmost importance. Because we as believers have a duty to be faithful stewards of the vineyard in which God has placed us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time when your word has been before us. And we just ask that you would bless your word to our hearts, that you would help us to know the truth and to know that the truth alone can set us free. We thank you for showing us through this exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders that we need to be wise as servants and gentle as doves as we go through this world and represent you. Lord, I pray for each person here that you would make your face shine upon them and give them peace and that you'd lead them from this place and place them in the places that you want them to be this week so that they can, as the saints in the book of Acts, turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.